You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Man, all right. Well, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter number two. I'm sorry, chapter number three. Uh, chapter number three. And we're going to pick back up there. You know, I'm just thinking tonight, you know, what, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live the Christian life. You know, the Christian life I mentioned isn't really, it's not a, it's not a set of rules. It's, it's a life. There is something that we believe. I mean, as Christians, we understand that in the Word of God. But it's not just a set of beliefs that we check off. It's actually a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what Christianity is really all about. And I hope you know the Lord tonight. If you're here tonight... Uh, you know, there's an interesting statistic that you might want to listen to right now. You listening? Ten out of ten people die. Ten out of ten. One hundred percent. And we get, what's the source? I I forgot to cite the source. Uh, But but very true. We are all going to die one day. Uh, So that's the encouraging word of tonight. D for death. But No, but the fact is, you are going to spend eternity somewhere. And where you spend eternity is not determined in eternity. It's decided today. It's decided on whether or not you have uh, received the forgiveness of sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you've received the forgiveness of sins, good news for you. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. He rose again the third day so that you could be forgiven. So if you don't know him tonight, uh, it'd be a great night to meet him. Amen. All right. So in in Colossians, it tells a little bit about what that looks like. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We're going to continue where we left off last week about liberty living. I switched it around this week and called it living in liberty. But that's what it's really all about. Uh, if we're going to, how, how is it possible for sinful people to live holy lives? I mean, genuine lives. I'm not talking about, you know, the religious people that try to be better than other people and then that way, then they, lift, they, they, they put their noses up in the air because they think they're better than you. And the whole time, you know that they're just a bunch of hypocrites, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about a genuine, loving caring, transformed life. Man, that's what this world needs to see. Uh, And and that starts with having a relationship with Christ. Number one with being saved. But it starts with understanding some of the things that happen because of our salvation. How is it though? Because when we get saved by the grace of God, we know that we're made a new creature in Christ. But the fact of the matter is, is we still have that old nature. Anybody still have their old nature? Anybody still have that sinful nature, that part of you that wants to do wrong, the temptation to do wrong? We all have that. Uh, But we do not have to give in to that. And a part of liberty is being able to live without being under the power of that. And so the way by the grace of God that we can live this life is by the power of God working in us. And the very first thing he says here is, If ye then be risen with Christ, there was a wonderful thing that happened to you the moment that you were saved by the grace of God. The moment you received forgiveness of sins, the Bible says that the resurrection power of God moved in on you in your life. 
The Bible says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead in Ephesians 1, it says the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. So therefore, the Christian life isn't about trying to do better. You ever try? You ever talk to somebody about Christ and you tell them, hey, the Lord wants to save you, uh, he, he wants you to become a Christian, and they'll say, well, man, I don't believe I can live the Christian life. Well, really, Colossians 3 is about that a little bit because you know what I say to people when they've told me that? It's like, well, man, you've got one thing figured out so far because in and of ourselves, we can't live the Christian life, but we have God Almighty living on the inside of us when we get saved. If ye then be risen with Christ, but then here's what it goes on to say. Here is our responsibility. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We've been changed, but he says now we need to seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. So we need to seek the heavenly. Look up to the Lord. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Number two, we talked about these uh, last time that I was here on Wednesday, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time. The second thing he says we need to do is to set. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth or on the earth. Now, Think about that. He's saying we need to seek, we need to set. In other words, we have a responsibility. Uh, that's something we need to do. Because when you get saved, there's, a part, there's that, that, that new side of you, that new man, as the Bible says, that wants the things of God, wants to pursue the life that God would have you to live, wants uh, just to lay hold. I mean, just loves Jesus, loves the Word of God, loves church. But one thing, it's... it's, it's it's a terrible thing when Christians don't realize that their old nature is still very well present with them. That wants to do everything opposite of that. So we've got to intentionally seek those things which are above. We've got to intentionally set our affection. Can you, can, do you have any control over what you love? And the answer to that question is that you do. You do have a, have a con, uh, control over what you love because contrary to what the world believes and teaches in regards to love, folks, love is a choice. Love is a decision. Love is a commitment. So to set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth, in other words, we need to change our point of view. Uh, you know, you, you remember last time perhaps I was given the illustration that John Bunyan gave in The Pilgrim's Progress about the man who was so focused on this world and it was just, a, just an allegory, but it was a man that had a rake and he was out in the middle of a bunch of mud and he was running that rake through the mud, the muck, the mire. And he just, his whole life, he was just a bent over old man. He spent all of his life just digging in that mud, turning it over, digging some more, hoping to find something that was redeeming, something that was worth uh, having in that muck and in that mud. And the whole time, John Bunyan, and he said that there was an angel up behind that man. This man's hunched over with his back down, looking down at the earth. And he said, behind him is an angel that's offering a crown of gold if he would just set his affection on things above. If he would just turn his eyes from the mud and begin to look up to heaven, he would realize there's something much more valuable being offered to him. And the picture is just simply this. Set your affection on things above. Way too many people, this world is filled with them. That's what people in this world do. Now the muck and the mud that people are turning over trying to find something, it's disguised as something a whole lot better. 
But when you really get down to it, it's nothing redeeming. It's nothing lasting. It's not really worth anything. You think about the things that you want to pursue. You think about whether it's money or pleasure or fame, whatever it is. You look at the people that have obtained these things outside of Christ, and I'm telling you, they have found absolute vanity. They have found nothing. They are, they're of all men most miserable. So we need to seek the heavenly. We need to seek uh, the heavenly. We need to set our affection on things above. The Bible says we're dead with Christ. And just the simple picture about that is, if you remember, we are alive unto Christ, as we'll see in just a moment. We're alive to Christ, which means what you're alive to is what gets you excited. You know, we talked about that last time. Uh, no matter who you talk to, just about every, everybody finds something exciting. Just about everybody you know finds something. They, they may seem like the person that don't want to talk about anything, don't care about anything, but normally there's something you can bring up that'll get them talking, that'll bring them alive. Well, that's kind of the picture here. Uh, alive in Christ, dead to the world. In other words, by the grace of God, the world ought to be dead to us. Now, we know we got that old nature that still, it wants to be alive, but where the Bible says we need to die to that on a daily basis. But so, we're alive in Christ, however. How many of you are saved? How many of you know how awesome it is to know Jesus Christ? It's awesome. We're not talking about being a member of a church. We're not talking about being a Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, or anything else. We're talking about having a relationship with God. How good is it to know the Creator? How good is it to know that He forgave you of your sins? How that He has your life in His hands, your times are in His hands. Man, it is so good. There is nothing in this world. I, I, I celebrated on this past Sunday, it was 29 years ago, that when the, that the, since the Lord saved my soul. 29 years ago, on October 10th, uh, the Lord saved my soul. 29 years ago. And I'm telling you, man, I've never regretted it one day. I was seeking for the pleasures in this world. And many of you know my testimony. I was seeking in drugs and the pleasures of this world. And the things about the pleasures of this world, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. For a season. See, you can find some pleasure in sin, but it's temporary. It's short-lived. And normally, you don't get pleasure in the same sin very long before you have to commit a different sin. And what you actually find in sin is initially you go up, but then you find yourself coming back down even harder. And so it's just, it's just a terrible cycle. But man, what a wonderful thing it was. The moment that the Lord saved my soul, changed my life. I'm telling you, just to know Him as my Savior, I've never regretted one day. Amen? It is so wonderful to know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, I would love to introduce you. Because He cares about you and He wants you to know Him. He knows you. He knows everything about you. And He still wants to know you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to have a relationship with you tonight. But so we're alive to Christ. We live in Christ. Notice verse 4. The Bible says, For, for when, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Man, He is coming again. Amen. The Lord is coming again. And... Uh, so, but not only that, and this is the point, a point that we did not get to in this verse uh, tonight. I want to get to here quickly. But uh, how, the way that we live, the, this victorious liberty living, 
is by seeking the heavenly, setting our affection on things above. Remember, the point about the liberty is, if you remember, the Colossians were being told, they were being taught a brand of legalism, which just basically said, you have to keep the law in order to be more spiritual. And what Paul's trying to tell them is it ain't about trying to keep these rules to become more spiritual. What he's saying is you have the power of Christ living in you and you'll have the liberty to break free from the bonds of the law, but you'll also have the liberty to break free from the bonds of sin. And we'll see that in just a moment. But we have liberty in him. But it says there's something very, very interesting. Notice verse number four with me one more time. The Bible says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. See, Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. But folks, he is coming again. How many of you believe that? He is coming again to receive his people unto himself. There is no sign that needs to be fulfilled before the Lord comes. He's coming again. And the Bible says that he's coming again for us. But it says that His glory shall be revealed in us. And it's cool because when you look in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, the Bible says we've already been glorified in Him. This glorification just hasn't yet been revealed. See, Christ has already given us glory. And we find this out in John 17, verse 22. But the full revelation of the glory awaits the return of the Savior. We find that out in Romans 8, 17 through 25. Now, we are identified with Christ. We are dead to sins. We're forgiven. We're children of God. Man, we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us. We have been transformed. And that's what the Christian life is really all about, is transformation. Not, not uh, you know, c- c- confirming or confer- what, what's the word I'm looking for? Conf- uh, conforming, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is an important part. So when we consider our wonderful identification, I like talking about identity a lot around here because people, uh, we know that we live in a world that people's really confused about identity. But a lot of times we get real confused about our identity in Christ. And I talked a good bit about that last week. The Bible says you're a conqueror. Do you believe that? That's your identity. The Bible says you're accepted in the blood. That's your identity. That's who you are. But unfortunately, we can have an identity crisis sometimes because we're conquerors. He says we are, but we're not living that way. We're accepted, but we don't behave as if we've been accepted. We're forgiven, but we act like we haven't. You see, there's an identity crisis. But because, you know, we mentioned last week, what you believe determines how you behave. And man, we need to learn, man, just to get into the Word of God and let God's Word transform your mind. Believe God's Word, grasp God's Word, claim God's Word for your life. So we have this wonderful identification, and we also have a great responsibility as God's people. The Bible says, seek those things which are above there in Colossians 3.1. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. You ever heard the statement, somebody's so so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? 
Well, that's not a biblical principle. Because the more, scripturally speaking, heavenly-minded we are, we're going to be much more earthly good. We're going to be much more effective in this earth. See, there's an interesting thing here. Even at the very start of this book right here, when it introduces the Christians, and when he talks about this, notice chapter 1, verse 2. Turn over there with me just real quick. Colossians 1, verse 2. This, I don't think it may get, they may get it up there, but just want to show you something really cool here. The Bible says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. That don't sound like much, but there's a great, great truth in that verse. The Bible says, We are in Christ at Colossae. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're in Christ and at Elk Point Baptist Church tonight. We're in Christ. See, we've got a position. We've got this natural position. We are at Elk Point Baptist Church. But the Bible says if you're saved, you are in Christ, seated in the heavenly places. See, how you stand depends on where you sit. The Bible says we're sit, seated with Christ in heavenly places. So by the grace of God, here's what we need to do. Habitually, we need to set our minds, set our attention on things above, not on things of the earth. This means that the practical everyday affairs of life get their direction from Christ in heaven. It means further that we look at the earth from heaven's point of view. How do you look at this earth? Uh, how, how do you get direction for the, for the way you live your life on a daily basis? See, if we set our affection on things above, if we are heavenly minded, so to speak, it just simply means that we're looking at our lives, we're looking at, at, at this world from a different perspective. That's why we're not freaking out, for one thing, right? Because we look at it from a different perspective. When we look at our lives, we look at it from we look at our lives and we live life from a different perspective because we're looking unto heaven. Lord, how would you have me to live? See, there were two men in the Bible by the name of Joshua and Caleb. These two men had their affection set somewhere else. See, when the nation of Israel came to enter into Canaan's land, If you remember the story, they sent 12 spies over into the land to spy out the land. Ten people came back. Well, 12 people come back, let's say. All 12 spies came back and agreed on some things. You remember what they agreed on? What's that? Well, they they didn't quite agree on that one. But what was their problem? They agreed on some positive things. Think about some positive. That's a very positive thing. It's a great land. It's beautiful. It's awesome. That looks like it would be the life. All 12 of them believe that. But the tw- 10 of them said, there's giants there. There's, uh, the, the problems are too big. Yes, God's given us this land. This is the land God's given us. But it's, it's, it's too hard. Anybody ever feel like living, living the victorious Christian life is too hard? Too hard. Too hard. Can't do it. That's what these 10 guys come back. See, and I'm telling you, I hate to say this, but I'm afraid from time to time there may be some of those 10 that sit on these chairs in this church right here. Oh, preacher, I know you say that, 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 that I could live a victory, but you don't know me. You don't know the giants in my life. 
you know. But I, I, love, I love the minority report. The minority report from Joshua and Caleb was, yeah, there's big giants there, but we got a big God. And the Bible says this, they said this, that these guys, they're bread for us. You know what they said? These guys are going to give us strength. This is going to be a good thing. <laughs> Don't you love people with that positive kind of attitude? Oh, the, we, preacher, do you see the, the problems that are uh, lurking and lying ahead in America? I do. This is going to be a good thing. You say, well, well preacher, you don't understand. That could, that, that could include in, increased persecution. Uh, go, find, go find the two people groups to where the Christians are growing in leaps and bounds. Communist China and, above, and, and, among, uh, and, and among Muslims in Muslim countries. Those are the two places where people are getting saved like nobody's business. Now, are preachers being jailed? Are people being locked up? Yes, they are, but souls are being saved. Amen? And so it's, it's saying that, uh, and, and that doesn't say that I'm welcoming it. Amen? I'm not, I'm not welcoming uh, that. I'm, I'm an American, praise God, and I'm going to, uh, you know, stand for our constitutional republic with everything I possibly can. But the point I'm just simply trying to make is they said those giants are bread for us. And uh, I love, by the way, when people come up to me after church and say, and add something or give me another thought on what I've preached. Sometimes I'm, I, I'm, I'm almost frustrated, not with you by any means, but just because I didn't think of it when I was up here preaching. Uh, because y'all come up with some great, great things uh, after church sometimes. But Hannah, she came up to me uh, several years ago. This is back when we were over in the storefront still. And she come forth after I'd mentioned that passage. And she said, they were saying they're toast. They're toast. Amen. The giants are toast. They be bread for us. Um, but here's the thing. For the next 40 years, those two dudes, Joshua and Caleb, had to wander in the wilderness. Until all that other crowd died off, 40 years they had to wait. 40 years they had to wonder. But the whole time their hearts were in Canaan's land. And it helped them to live a different life. And so, man, sometimes it seems like we're going around in circles. Sometimes we're battling enemies. And sometimes it's not. But, man, we need to just keep our attention on where we're going. Amen? And that's what they did. And so, uh, by the grace of God, that's what we can do as well. Joshua and Caleb had their minds and hearts made up. And the encouragement here in Colossians 3 is to, number one, get a hold of the truths that he's presenting to us, and then grab hold of these, live by these. You're risen with Christ. Set your affection on things above. Seek those things which are above. Man, Jesus is coming again. Live as if He's coming today. Prepare as if, you know, He won't come in your lifetime. But live your life as if He were coming this very day because He very well may. Okay, and so the very first admonition He gave us in order to live this, this victorious Christian life was, number one, seek the heavenly. The second thing, and I'll just uh, give you this a little bit quicker, slay the earthly. Slay the earthly. We're talking about liberty here. The Bible says here in verse number 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What's another word for mortify someone? Crucify, kill, destroy, slay the earthly. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What are your members? And notice this, he says therefore your members. He's talking to people that are saved. 
as well as people that aren't, but he's here specifically talking about people that are saved. Now, what are some of the things that we see that are common among mankind? The very first thing he mentions is fornication. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. So we need to put off these first sins that we'll mention briefly. But then he says, not only that, put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed uh, uh, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. How is the old man renewed? Or the new man's renewed in knowledge. It's in learning these truths and letting them change your life. But quickly, let's see here about slaying the earthly. Now, he obviously isn't talking about killing something or somebody. But remember, it's talking about putting this off, dying to this. This being something that we are not going to partake of. Mortify. Uh, mortify, therefore, the deeds of the law. Uh, you know, and I want to say this. We're really, th- this, a part of what we're trying to emphasize here in Colossians 3 is the liberty that we have in Christ. Liberty living. I'm a Christian liberty. But now some people believe and teach that Christian liberty, liberty is embracing sin and immorality. Well, that's, that's asinine. It's, it's totally ridiculous. Because sin and immorality is bondage. So we can't have Christian liberty, which means we live in bondage. That's, it just doesn't make any sense. So by the grace of God, we, we, we don't live under the legalistic rule. We live under the power and the love of Christ, which means that we can live victoriously, which means that sin doesn't have dominion over our lives. Sin doesn't have to rule our lives. So he said, therefore, mortify the deeds of the flesh. And so he mentions a few, and we'll just look at these here quickly. Number one, he refers to fornication. Fornication refers to sexual immorality in general. Now, sometimes we we, we decipher between, you know, for instance, between adultery and fornication. Really, adultery would be a form of fornication. But we think more and often classify fornication as sexual relations outside of the bonds of marriage. Put off fornication, he says. But not only that, uncleanness. Uncleanness means lustful impurity that is connected with luxury and loose living. Lustful impurity, so we need to put off the impure, all right? So we need to make sure that our hearts and our minds are pure. The Bible says, create in me a clean heart, O God. All right, so fornication, uncleanness, and then he goes on to say inordinate affection. So he's talking about affection here. Inordinate affection describes a state of mind that excites sexual impurity. The person who cultivates this kind of appetite can always find an opportunity to satisfy it. Now, in list after list, especially in the New Testament, fornication and adultery are often at the top of the list. 
And the reason why is because that's something that mankind struggles with, right? Uh, it's, it's not only condoned in the day and age in which we live, it's celebrated. And, and, and you know that those, and listen, I want to say this both to those who, uh, who are still pure and are virgins and, and still to those who, who perhaps have made bad decisions but are going forward and saying, you know what, from this point on, no, I am staying pure until marriage. What does that incite in public? What does that call for, it seems, in public? Ridicule, right? Public ridicule. We live in a messed up world. But the fact of the matter is, by God's grace, God knows. And I'm telling you, when it comes to these things, and we'll go, we'll go on here to, to, to finish the thought, he also mentions, so fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, uh, evil concupiscence which just means base and evil desires. Can I just say this? We are all subject to base and evil desires. We are. Now, one of the ways that we're going to break the appetite for these things, a base and an evil desire, appetite, uh, because here it is, desires lead to deeds. Appetites lead to action. If we would purify our actions, then we must first purify our minds and our hearts. Quick question. Or let me say quick statement, then quick question. Your mind is paramount when we talk about this, okay? Your soul, you may be saved by the grace of God and sealed until the day of redemption. But our mind, what we think is going to determine a couple things. I say it, I've said it so many times, but it's true. The way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines the things you do. Okay, so that's a statement. What you think, the, the, the battle, the battle, exclamation point, continue, is in the mind. You say, well, no, I kind of feel like it's in my heart. Well, no, because you've got to think about it first. You know, well, no, no Perry, you don't understand. My battle's in my flesh, man. Preacher, I'm having a terrible time controlling my lustful desires right now. It's, 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 my, it's, it's my flesh, man. It's not my mind. No, no, it's your mind. It all starts in your mind. It's paramount. So, now, that was a statement. Here's the question. There are two... We've got several entrances into this building. How many entrances are there into your mind? Two. All right. What are the two entrances into your mind? Eyes and ears. What you see, what you hear. Now, we can't always, we can't control everything that we see and hear. But we might ought to consider, if we want to live a victorious Christian life, we need to consider being, you know, uh, being in a lot more control of that. The Bible says we must bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. I mean, every thought needs to be captive. We don't need to allow anything into our eyes and ears and just say, okay, have at it. You, you must guard your heart and your mind. That's the only way we can mortify the deeds of the flesh. Uh, so, what's going to happen if you, you know, it, it, what's going to happen if you look at impure things and listen to impure things? You're going to have impure thoughts. Impure thoughts lead to impure actions. Uh, and attitudes 
And, uh, and I'm telling you, and all that leads to you being rotten, man, and unsatisfied. See, remember this about God always. I say this to the teens. I say it to every adult. God has your best interest at heart. God, when, when you get that thought in your mind of what's God trying to keep from me? Oh, God is so cruel. He's trying to keep me from this joyous pleasure. Never. God may be trying to keep you from a temporary uh, pleasure and sin for a season, but we understand there's consequences to that. I'll use a very, not, not a very great illustration, but maybe some of you can identify with it, okay? Uh, I, try, I try to eat fairly healthy. I try to be a healthy person. Um, the Bible says bodily exercise profit is little. Uh, but it doesn't mean it doesn't profit at all. Uh, and so, and, and, and I just, I, I want to be a good steward uh, over my body. I may drop dead before I get the next sentence out of my mouth. And some of you could say amen right there. Uh, but and that's very true. But I don't want it to be because of my irresponsibilities. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, I, I want to be a good steward in that way. All right. But the trouble is, is my appetite. Okay, somebody's got to be with me here. My appetite, my desires, what I want. One of the things that really, really helps me sometimes when I want, uh, man, I could think of a few uh, different things here. I don't know if it's cake, cookies, what it might be, half a Sarah Sue's pie. Uh, I, have a tr- I have trouble with moderation, let me just say that. Uh, uh, but I know... I, I want something so bad, and I eat it, and it hits my stomach, and it's just like, ugh. You know, and, and my, my, my desire to have it was so much greater than the satisfaction except for Sarah Sue's pies. Uh, and i got to watch out whoever else cooked me a dessert, amen, I suppose. But uh, my desire, you got to be political as a pastor sometimes. But, uh, but, uh, but no, listen, I mean, uh, my, my desire, it's just like, well, that wasn't that great unless it's sarah sue's pies that wasn't that great uh we we got this you know we we eat popcorn tonight anybody like eating popcorn but i'm telling you man in my opinion popcorn smells so much better than it actually is and that's just in my mind some of you are like no it don't i love it man but and that's but i'm just just for myself the point i'm just trying to make is this sometimes i've got to remind myself of some things number one i've got to remind myself that that ain't near as good. If I eating four pop tarts sounds great, but it's just not going to feel great. All right, um, and uh, and not only that, if I keep on doing that on a regular basis, you know, I've shared with you before, and I need to stop here. But I, I, I shared with you before how that, that, that there was a time in my life to where literally uh, four to five times a week, uh, maybe I would uh, I would eat at least a dozen to twenty cookies with. You know, I don't know, uh, 30 ounces of milk or something, you know, to, to, to wash it down. That was starting to tell on me a little bit. I'll tell you right now, that was starting to tell on me a little bit. Uh, and so I made a decision to say, you know what, I don't think, because I was reaping consequences. Here's all I'm trying to say. I've learned to change my appetite. Now, this isn't the best illustration because I still will eat a cookie and I still will eat a slice of Sarah Sue's pie and I still will eat popcorn in some kind of moderation, okay? Uh, but the general point is I have actually learned, don't judge me here, boys, 
Uh, but I have learned to like salad. I'll check my man card at the door, okay? But I have learned to like salad. Uh, I have learned to like some things that I, that, that I previously haven't liked. What I'm saying is I've learned to change my appetite. That's the point I'm just trying to make. And you can learn to change your appetite. You can learn that the deceitfulness of sin, Satan, Satan always gives his best up front. He gives his best up front. The party on Friday night, man, that's the best up front. Man, this is a blast. Walk of shame the next morning, not so much fun. Venereal disease, not so much fun. Puking your guts out, swearing you'll never drink again, or whatever it might be, not so much fun. Uh, you know, getting killed in a drunk, drunk driving accident or being uh, hurt, not so much fun. Uh, see, the devil tries to give his best up front, but the point is, is that it's deceitful. The Bible set warns about the deceitfulness of sin. And, and he goes on, and I'm not going to preach this part, because then he goes on to saying, we understand if you knew a Christian that did the things that I'm talking about right now that were just listed, you'd be like, that's a crying shame. But perhaps next week we'll look at these other things that are mentioned here. He said uh, that we also need to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another. And uh, so uh, Christians sometimes do those and don't think as much about them. But the Bible says we need to mortify those as well. Amen. Uh, well, listen, as we all stand tonight, we'll be dismissed. And I appreciate your patience. If you're here tonight and you do not know Christ as your Savior,